Word on the street is I'm always going to use a couple extra words. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, everything I say, I say it with my chest. And I have to say, this season of Potomac really is the best. Oh, you know, I love a rhyme. Rhyming brings me so much joy when it comes to taglines. And so does this return, return guest. You guys, it's Andy's Girls. <laughs> it's episode, I don't fucking know. Go figure it out and let me know. Circle back, slide into my DMs. And I'm so excited to have one of my favorite guest co-hosts back. You know him as news and entertainment journalist and pop culture expert. Someone who knows an awful lot about spilling the tea as I have a little extra sip of mine. <laughs> Welcome to Cinnamon Spice. Richie Sky. Welcome back to Andy's Girls. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back in the building. I swear to God, every time you come on, I'm like, it's been too long. I have I know, missed you. I know. I have missed you. <laughs> I feel like it's like it's every time we are apart, it's between seasons. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> like I've lived a lot of life now I'm back on the show <laughs> oh my god and I love it I mean you are truly like you are not a friend of Andy's girls you are a full-time cast member and I just need you to know that when you're not here it's like you're on pause and then you're unpaused again and I just I fucking love it I'm literally Dorinda <laughs> I I mean <laughs> that's saying something that's saying you always make it nice <laughs> I'm like what Dorinda was actually trying to say at that point. <laughs> Richie Sky, how are you? We're both, it's a little, it's a little morning record. We're both sipping our tea. We're I know. ready for our day. I'm good. I'm actually drinking mud water. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's amazing. It's like all natural ingredients, like all mushrooms and things of that nature. It looks like I'm mud. Giving a face. Okay. It's a, but it's it's like a coffee alternative. And then they have a version for nighttime too that I love as well. So I am low-key addicted. Um I think it's great. I mean, I feel like I'm putting healthier things into my body. Now, I love a coffee alternative. I'm a big fan of chicory root extract, which okay. I do a little dibble dabble of the chicory root just like pure chicory root with some ice and then I throw in some non-dairy milk and I and it tastes crazy so it like it tastes like I think coffee like I think it but I Same. I am I am primarily a tea gal but I love it but that mushroom sometimes the mushrooms taste like mushrooms when it comes to <laughs> and I just don't want a mushroom coffee do you get the mushroom essence I, I don't I don't okay. I really okay. it really does taste like coffee because I also add in like um some oat milk and yeah, you got it. a little got bit it. of like they have like these they make their own sweeteners as well so you can use like whatever sweeteners they have. It's like a coconut. I think there's coconut or something like that in it. It. I don't know. The whole con like <laughs> the whole concoction is is great to me. So I'm just like I will drink this. I will sip on this. Wow. And are do you ever drink coffee? Or are you easing out of coffee life? I am easing out of coffee. Like I, coffee is. I mean, it's cool. I feel like. But I, I don't want to jitter all day. Yeah. And I feel like this actually has like a seventh of the amount of coffee that a, uh, that a typical cup of coffee would have. Mm -hmm. Like when it comes to caffeine and all that good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, I'm into you and your mushroom journey. <laughs> it's a different kind of trip than how others consume them. But I'm here for it. Do you have any plans for Thanksgiving whenever that happens, allegedly, in a week or whatever? <laughs> I am going to go home to the country sides mm. of Virginia to visit my family. I'm going to go home and visit my parents. Yeah. That's it's about nice. a five hour drive. <gasps> oh, God. And are you driving? Can you take a train? I could take the train. I yeah, I could. But see, I have a um they do have first class on the train. I am a mm. I'm a very bougie traveler, Sarah. <laughs> like I <laughs> Is it first class or nothing? With, first, with it's Richie's first guy? class or nothing. Now I'm trying to get to this point where I am because here's the thing. I've learned how to book first class um at a cheaper rate, right? Oh. And this is the key for okay. the AG listeners. Okay, I'm into this. Book your flights one way. Start there, right? Okay. That's number okay. one. That's into tip that. number one. Into tip that. number two is if you can, get yourself an American Express Platinum card. Book your flight. <laughs> that seems very easy. <laughs> is that, can I do that as a poor person? Can I just call I Amex will... and be like, may I have yes. a silver one, please? Let me tell you, and let me tell you how you can do okay. it. Okay. If you apply for, and listen, y'all, I am not a financial expert, so please do not come at me when y'all oh get, God. you know, if the law comes. But when I, what I will say, what I will say is from my experience, that sounds better. From my experience, you can actually apply for two credit, two American Express cards in the same day. There's a little bit of financial, um, experience that I've had and that several other people I know have had as well. And then the other thing is I use my credit card for everything so that I am constantly accumulating points. So when it is time for me to travel, then I can use those points. And so really it's like a, you know, a reward system. And that's how I, I I like to travel. It's just a thing. I, I can't explain it. I'm six foot. I'm also six foot three. So it's like, yeah, I, you need room. You need, I need room. the leg room. Wait a second. What does <laughs> not to be like a dumb dumb, but what does applying for two credit cards? Does that mean you're applying for a card? And then as soon as you get it, you apply for platinum or what is applying for two it cards? Could be, the same it could be, it could be, it could be. That's just an extra bit of information that I was just throwing in there because it's people don't know it. Oh, okay. Well guys, there's some financial planning. I mean, I, you could not, no one should go to me. For <laughs> Listen, don't even come to, don't me. even come to me for financial advice. I'm just telling you what, what I was told. And then when I did it, it worked. I remember during one of my trips to Paris, I like checked my checking account balance. I was like flying between like, I was going between like London and Paris or like Spain and Paris or something. And I checked my checking account balance and was like, where's the money at? And I had to figure out, I was in Paris and I was like, oh my God, like, babe, are you going to have enough money to pay for the cab to the airport to get yourself back to the United States? Because if that's not going to happen, maybe this is God's way of telling you, you get to stay. But like, (laughs) always, whenever, just like a little word of advice, which I think most people know, aside from myself, is like, if you're planning a trip or anything, make sure you have a buffer, an emergency fund or something when things go slightly awry. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to need that. 
if if the costs are a little little higher than expected. C'est bon, c'est bon. That's what also makes that credit card like extra amazing because you kind of like have that extra level of security. But you know, that's just um non-finance talk 101 <laughs> with Richard. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys. So get, I mean, I guess it's like get your, use your points. That's how we use your points. Do, I mean, do so many one cards. Way and use your points. Yeah. So many, um, so many cards have points like systems like that. So just, you know, I, I my, my biggest thing is to people use the rewards that are given to you. Mm. I don't use my debit card at all because I just feel like it, there, I, it, there's no benefit to me for that. So just, I feel like I just use my credit card for everything and then I pay it off and then you you keep, you get the good credit um, and it helps, it helps build your credit. But that's just, these are little life lessons that I've had to learn. Wow. I literally only use my debit card. So maybe I should be, because the thing is, it's like, are you really going to pay it off? I guess people do. I guess adult people uh, with financial... <laughs> <laughs> that's like, the goal. That's that is free. the goal. That's free money, and then I'll worry about that. that like is a the goal. year or whatever. When they start calling, being like, "Hi, are you still? What's happening?" Um, I do have to say, speaking of travel, I keep I have a Google alert because I am obsessed with Paris. And pre-COVID, I mean, this is the story that every I think everyone feels you were able to find so many flight deals. So I had yeah. a couple instances of being able to go to. Paris round trip Air France by just really stalking website deals. One time I was able to do it for like 275, mm-hmm. another time like three or 350. And this is like Air France, like legit, delightful journey. And that no longer exists. Yes, you just can't get those now. deals. It's difficult now. Side note, I mean, maybe had you stayed there, you could have been a part of Real Girlfriends of Paris. You know what? I haven't. I've heard from people who love that show ask me if I watch it. And I have to say, like, it's a two parter. Number one, I am at capacity, essentially with Housewives and a couple extras. I don't have the space in my heart, let alone Google Cal to do it. And number two, I think I am kind of pissed. and I'm not involved I'm like you couldn't have created that would be my show like I don't necessarily want to join housewives I would want to join a show like that noting that I have not seen a single moment of it and have absolutely no idea about what takes place it would you know I try I watched maybe the first two episodes and I think um you know it seemed to me like a derivative of Emily Mm. in Paris for those of you guys who love that show um I think that the key with Emily in Paris is that it's a show. So it's like, it's a scripted show. So right. the elements are there. It's there's more flash and there's romance and mm-hmm. there's, you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. kind of like a Fashion. modern uh, sex in the city for mm-hmm. Paris, mm-hmm. but real girlfriends of Paris just kind of seem like young housewives with no drama. And so you're kind of oh. like, I don't, doing here without Dorinda I don't know <laughs> I mean I heard it was like giving gallery girls a little bit like it was that I could kind see of that energy. I could see that but see you know gallery girls had its time right and then well, it didn't <laughs> that's the thing with getting a throwback is sometimes that's like great and sometimes it's just a connective device so that we remember and acknowledge that maybe this happened before yeah. you know like we've already yeah. 
been past that time, which does to me, I mean, there's a lot for us to discuss. I need to get your thoughts on Salt Lake. I need to get your thoughts on Potomac. But there has been some stuff happening in the Bravo world. And as a journalist and pop culture expert, what is your kind of instinct telling you about how the New York reboot and legacy is going to go? Because there's been a lot happening. Lizzie Savetsky just quit. Bravo put out a statement confirming she left, which is something they very rarely do. How are you feeling about the reboot, where things are, and and where legacy could end up? I think first and foremost, I, I don't necessarily know that we ever really needed the reboot or the legacy show. I think we could have just done the regular Roni and mm. been okay with it. You know, mm. I was thinking long and hard about this, this, this morning for some reason, <laughs> because why not? Um, and, and, and I, and I also kind of was thinking about what our conversation would be about. And I, I was hoping we would touch on this because Real Housewives of New York has been one of my perennial favorites mm. since I started watching Housewives. There was something about the chaoticness of it all and I just, and I have to say this, I feel like they're the pioneering years for Roni, which is seasons one through three. You got the classic elements of what the show was, right? You got so many great moments, Scary Island, I'm up here, you're down here, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then to me, you have that, like that, that mystery year that, that, that I think we got the Herman Munster shoes and we've got the thug in a cocktail dress, you know what I mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of like a lost season to me because I feel like it it didn't fit into the other paradigms that I'm about to say. You mm-hmm. had the renaissance to me, which was the addition of, of Carol, of, of Aviva, of Heather, where this was the first time we'd ever seen half the cast is replaced, right? And then how did that work? And then to me, you have the golden era, which was season seven wow. through 10. When Bethany made her return, we got Dorinda and things kind of went from there. Now, I think there were several things that happened that made the show, um, it kind of put the show in a tricky position. One, um, the over-reliance on Bethany, because with her gone, there's a huge void and a vacuum. Mm. So casting, I felt like should have been better during that period of time, right? So that you can find someone who injects that same amount of energy into a show that Bethany does, right? So if you if you have that constant influx of that type of personality, maybe not the exact same, but high level of energy that can match those girls at that age range. Mm-hmm. Notice I say that age range because I feel like that's where the sweet spot is for housewives. Yep. Um, not these new, these young new girls. Like Aaliyah, Leah belongs to me. This is not a bash Leah moment. She belongs on Summer House. Mm. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I just think she would have been perfect for that show, right? And so had we not made so many of those missteps, I feel like we could have worked with Dorinda to calm or quell her anger, okay? Because there's Mm -hmm. obviously some issues there. Um, taking a little bit of a break to readjust and reassess and really get the casting right um, for future seasons. 
I don't think we ever would have had a need for this reboot. Now, with regards to this reboot, I also feel like there's this element of, and I understand it, we want diverse cast. We do, right? Mm -hmm. But there has to be a natural diversity to it. Similar to the natural diversity that that has typically existed in Miami. Mm. Yeah. You know, where these Great women example. are operating within a similar social circle. You bring in Guardi, who is now working with Alexia on her wedding. Natural fit. You have um, Kiki, who was also a friend of Guardi's. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Who naturally fits in. You bring back Larsa, and you have not only the celebration of a um, huge, like, diverse melting pot of Latina, Afro-Latina, yes. Cuban, Black, um, uh, uh, white. You have everything right there that fits and makes a perfect mix. You can, that's a natural fit. So then to try to regurgitate that formula and, and it's, it doesn't feel to me like a, a organic group of friends, mm -hmm. we're going to see that. We're going to see that that doesn't work. And as we saw, it didn't work. Right. Halfway through the season, you had someone who was who was named. I remember seeing the early reports about the reboot, and Lizzie's name was at the top of the list. Put out by her publicist, I'm sure. And now you have that same person exiting the show at a critical point in time. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just, I just think this whole legacy and this reboot thing, I don't know what to do about it. To me, I'm I'm leaning more towards if you're gonna do legacy, putting legacy on Bravo and putting this new show on Peacock yes. to see how it works. See how it works. I mean, not to look too far into the future, but if the reboot is a shit show, do you think that there's a way that they could see? I don't even me even saying it out loud. I'm like, I really just don't even think I could ask the question, but like a way for them, depending on what happens with the reboot, if it's a perfectly fine show, but people, the the response from the audience is they miss that specific cast. Do you think that there could be a way to merge legacy and the reboot or does that completely not make sense because we're having them exist in different universes i would know right it's, right it's, i know it, it I to know. me i mean for those of you guys who are like marvel and dc fans it would mm. be like mixing them in two movies which at some point could happen there could be a crossover right but for right now it's like it's unnecessary to me to me it's unnecessary and i think there is again there's something about this group of women and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's like you have Dorinda, you have Jill, you have Luann, you have Sonia. You have a, a good core right there. And I think that you can add to that core by finding, hey, who is in your social circle that you know that may be a little bit different from the rest of the girls, but you think would add to this mix in a great way? Yeah. And maybe this is and this is a new concept. Maybe similar to Salt Lake. It is about the four of them. Mm. And then you bring in a couple of new faces to see how they fit. Who does the audience gravitate to? You give us the old New York, but you also then slowly introduce, I think that. Personally, Bershawn would have been an excellent fit. Um, but she we lose the 
Ramona connection, which was how she was initially brought into the group. Right. But I think you, you you test a couple of people in this new season, but let the focus be those four. If we look back, one of the best seasons of Housewives to me was Real Housewives of New Jersey season two. Mm. You had four women. Mm-hmm. And they were unstoppable. And half the time, one of them didn't even film with the group. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's possible. And I think that there's a way that you can tell these stories. Um, I think some casts work with a larger cast. Beverly Hills, obviously. Potomac is is killing it with a bigger cast. Um, But why don't we maybe, with New York, get back to the core, focus on the core, and then expand outward from there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're making so many great points. And I feel like Salt Lake City is struggling a little bit right now. But I think there's also a little bit of tension underneath with the addition of literally three friends of, which is many friends of. And I think there is some reality under there of like, depending on how this goes with Jen, there's a need for this, not necessarily because of the current story, which might also be true, but because of the future of the show, there's almost like a little bit of darkness there, you know, and the idea of these people, it feels to me a little bit almost like these people are auditioning for Jen's spot in front of Jen. And like, maybe that's why some of it isn't going well. And maybe that's why some of it could go very well as the season continues because of that kind of production almost friction not production meaning people like working on the show but amongst the cast potentially the idea that things are going to change and they're not necessarily in Jen's control uh obviously not and with New York I just kind of think like Jersey has had great seasons where it's a small core and New York I just kind of am struggling I have been like a little bit of like a little negative about it, a little bitter Betty about it, because I just I'm sad that the core is going to be gone, that we're not carrying with it any history. And, you know, New York City is always like a friend of character, but like which New York are we going to see? I'm I'm nervous about it because I just think Housewives is so, you know, my mom's in town and literally at dinner last night, it was, it's her birthday. And I was like, let's talk happy about birthday, mom. Happy birthday, Toby. She's out for a walk right now. But I was like, listen, happy birthday. We got your champs. We got your whatever. Let's talk about Lizzie Savetsky and the Real Housewives of New York. And I was giving her a rundown of like what's going on. She's like, what's happening? And I was giving her a rundown of like what's going on. And also, what does this mean for the future? And I found myself as I'm talking to my mom, a woman in her um, mid 70s, but looking 36. Um, you know, it's it was just kind of reminding to me how grounding it is the idea of seeing stories of women of a specific generation and age. And it's so helpful to always have connectors like 
Crystal Minkoff on Beverly Hills, the joke, the eye roll. And she's like, I'm almost 40. And there are women who are like 52, like rolling their eyes in jest, like with, you know, a little bit of humor there. But Ashley Darby on Potomac, um, Tinsley on New York, like there can be exceptions to the rule, but it just makes me sad because New York is like a survival state in and of itself. You have to you're going to get your ass kicked. No, in in some way, no matter what. What, um world of privilege you live in or possibly come from and that also comes with time like there's the idea of going through challenges because you just fucking live here versus going through challenges because you've lived enough of a life to have experienced things not to say you can't at like 32 but the chances are higher that at 47 you know there's a difference there of 15 years things are going to happen in that time I like to see those stories not necessarily even play out but be revealed when -hmm. you feel more vulnerable and I just find myself just kind of you know missing it and I'm also just nervous about this Lizzie stuff because it is obviously not good for the network that with a lot of hope built on an expectation built on this reboot that one of the cast members is leaving and I'm just nervous for what they have in their back pocket to make this work because the whole issue with the first kind of like dark Dorinda season after Bethany left when she was blaming everything on Tinsley was because Bethany quit the day before I want to say production started, it was like the day before, maybe even the day of, and they had no backup plan because she didn't tell anybody this was happening. She was like negotiating Mark Burnett or whatever else and decided in the negotiations, it wasn't going to work out. She was leaving. And I think a part of that was Dorinda kind of spinning out and blaming Tinsley for Bethany's quick and unprofessional exit like at least when Tinsley decided to leave the show it was a conversation with production there was a reason for it because her life was changing with Scott Oive but she left on really friendly terms with the network and it's like versus what Bethany did and with the Lizzie stuff I'm like there's obviously a lot that there is a perspective Lizzie is sharing on social there are rumors that other people are discussing it's becoming a game of telephone I have absolutely no idea what happened. There are many things that can be true at once that Lizzie experienced specific harassment or hate on social media. I mean, surely I've seen stuff that people have left on her social and that also something happened that led to a conflict that people couldn't move on from on production. There's like no way for us to know what actually took place except to say that there are different stories and more than one story can be true at once. But it just makes me kind of nervous because I was already nervous for the reboot. And I'm like, this is not telling me that we're going potentially in a new direction. And also, by the way, if something happened during filming, are they going to include it? I would think the first couple days of filming the reboot would be incredibly important. So are you going to keep that footage If Lizzie is there, even though she left a couple weeks in, and if some of that footage includes some really intense, potentially triggering stuff, 
Are we going to pretend that that didn't happen at all? If it did, nobody knows. Like, literally nobody knows. It's all just rumor and speculation. None of it positive. So if something happened, what is the cast being told? Are they, now that Lizzie's gone, are they discussing it on camera? Are we pretending it didn't happen? Are, are is the cast going to talk about it when they eventually start doing press? Like, it just feels very chaotic and not great. It does. I mean, and you touched on a couple of points. I mean, and I guess one of the big questions is when the show comes out, if they don't address it, similar to how we saw nothing about Jenny, uh, she who shall not be really named on right. Salt Lake City, was that so that we as an audience weren't triggered any more than mm. we already were? And so will they exclude it for the sake of not triggering the audience who really wants to watch the show for entertainment is that the best route I guess that's the question that is the network would have to ask itself I also think you hit on another thing with Salt Lake City and it's sort of being a who's gonna take Jen Shaw's spot um it again to me goes back to casting story producing and production mm -hmm. they have to work in tandem so to me when you have i've watched very little of salt lake i have to be very honest with you but what i have seen of it there have been no real proper introductions mm -hmm. and what i mean by that they the show doesn't have enough history um to survive in a way that i think that um New York potentially could with a core that we all know and love right um Jersey at its time in the second season we had no expectation of what a housewife show would right. would really be yep. and so with four people we weren't there was no real disappointment mm -hmm. other than maybe if you love Dina you missed her when she was gone mm -hmm. Um, but now that we understand what the housewives formula is, I think that with Salt Lake, we don't have history there. We're three seasons in, not a lot of history, a whole lot of chaos. And really, I have to blame the casting directors. I have to blame the story editors or the story mm. producers and I have to blame production in general because what should be happening is when you're going to introduce three new characters, you have to give us their story. We need to know who they are. How do you fit into this world? What's your genuine connection? Because all I see is, oh, Angie Kay's here to speak for Lisa Barlow. Oh, okay. Uh, gotcha. Uh, Angie Harrington. Okay. I think we're supposed to know her because she was... I think she filmed earlier on in season one and then got replaced. And oh yeah, here she is again. Oh, her husband's got a Finsta. Okay. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like, give me story so that I care about these characters. Because if you don't, I don't care. And I felt like that's where we are with Salt Lake for me, at least from what I could see so far. 
Ciao, AGs. I am speaking to you right now from Rome, Italy, where I am having a little bit of a European adventure. While I love the city and have had so many unique experiences to historical sites, the Vatican, we went to the Pantheon earlier today, there was a little bit of a hiccup in the apartment that we're staying in. And while I really enjoyed getting to know Fabrizio, the owner of the flat, there was a little bit of a language barrier because I unfortunately do not speak any Italian, even though I have watched The Sopranos all the way through at least three times. And this is where Rosetta Stone comes in. What would have helped me enormously in traveling abroad would have been brushing up, also known as entirely learning, the language of Italian. It could have broken down barriers and conversation with Fabrizio. And I also think speaking the language of the place that you're in is a sign of respect to the locals. It's also the ability to fully immerse yourself in the experience. And me not knowing any Italian, apologies to my grandpa Reno, who did make pizza from scratch, it would have been an incredible and even more incredible memorable experience. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, that's right, German, Chinese, and even more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There are no English translations, so you can really learn, listen, and think in that language you want to learn. It's designed for long-term retention, which is especially helpful for me because while this is my first trip to Italy, I really truly hope it won't be my last. The lifetime membership that Rosetta Stone offers has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses that Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Ciao. Hey, AGs. Are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Obvs. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic non-stick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen 
is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. But how do you give that kind of story and background to a friend of? You have to treat the friend of in a way that gives their story a slow rollout, which requires proper planning. So let me give you an example. Please. Marlo. Marlo has enough history in this group, right? Mm -hmm. Such that... When the time came, we'd gotten so much of Marlo interacting with the girls, Mm -hmm. it became inevitable that she would become a cast member. Mm -hmm. Example number two. (laughs) Oh no, I got I got one more. I love this. I'm so into this. I'm example number two. Okay. Sutton Strack. Mm -hmm. When Sutton came in as a friend, the the way she was integrated into the group. We got to know so much of her that we wanted her Mm. involved in the mix. Mm -hmm. We could see the value of it. Mm -hmm. And now that she's on, the value has been proven, right? Another one. And I think this is going to be the one that is really people forget about. Sonia Tremont Morgan. Mm. Season three. Mm -hmm. There was another woman that was supposed to be brought in as the friend but Sonia ended up ended up winning out I think the other woman's name was Jennifer I can't I, I cannot remember if that Jennifer was the party not. planner yes oh my Jennifer Gilbert yes which was season okay so was she was a part three. of four Jennifer Gilbert was like a part of four but it was like a weird situation a la Barbara yeah. Kay where everyone thought she was going to be a housewife and then it yeah. was like just kidding let her down yeah but they went but the thing about it was Sonia came in season three as the friend right she went on the trip with the cast wasn't a full-time cast member was she not no people forget <laughs> that I don't think I remember that so when I'm, you go I'm back quite and sure you I'm look one of those the, people. No, I mean it was it was literally just the girl Kelly and that was it. It wasn't Sonya wasn't a part of the cast like that. She became a full-time cast member the next season. I am giving Richie Sky. <laughs> I feel like did that happen? That could have happened. I I just No, don't... it did. I'm going to go back. Hold on. Okay, Richie Sky is looking it up right now. Is she not in that fucking picture? She wow! Is it is Holy Jill, I... Ramona, um, Kelly, oh, okay. Luann, Alex, and Bethany. Wow, that is shocking to me. I absolutely block this out of my mind, but I also think that that gets to the core of the importance of 
a friend of having a story, and I'm putting that in quotes, which does not necessarily mean this is who I am and this is where I came from, as you would see a full-time cast member be introduced, versus having a specific perspective. And that needs to be organic AF. And I think the problem that we're finding on Salt Lake, just when it comes to the Friends of, because I'm really enjoying this season, is that they're all being introduced as like an ally with a capital A to the cast member who they're hoping they can bond with so much and defend so much that that gets them a place. But like, you know, Heather's working on this fucking, you know, chorus or whatever. And it's like, we don't need an ensemble member who is only singing the same notes as the person that they're filming with, because it just feels like you're just doubling up by having someone in the background sharing the same exact thing as that person we care about. It just kind of shows the divides. Like the, the, the Angie's aside from my absolute instinctive, complete dislike and, um, absolute lack of trust in Angie H like other Angie and Dana is her name Dana I might have made that up Dana Dana Dana, I don't know. Dana 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 Pam whatever it is um 20, <laughs> <laughs> Dana, I mean, for life um like I don't necessarily know these women nor do I care about them aside from their perspective the dip the exception to that is Angie H because she has become a part of the conflict because she's created some of it and her husband has created some of it behind the scenes but you know you can only have Heather and formerly Whitney push this person so many times while acknowledging that I don't know necessarily if this is going to work out like I don't know that you can have I don't know. It doesn't it's not necessarily vibing for me with these women. And I hope that production is seeing that that promoting from within is all fine and good unless it's not. To me, again, it goes back to casting. I feel like you and I watch these shows enough to know when someone comes in and they've hit the mark. Yeah. And, And they and they just work. Jennifer Aiden and Jackie, you know, they came in perfectly i like the idea when two new cast members come in portia and kenya Mm. phaedra and cynthia you know what i'm saying i feel like you've got to find the i think great casting comes with finding balance all of those situations you have balance very balanced casting but you also have casting that these women can stand on their own and they have, again, it goes back to your, what you said, your own perspective. And so when you come, when that person comes in, they're able to really sit back and assess this group because they know this group as well. Yeah, I think that's why Sharice is so important or so interesting or maybe just like honestly such a reward for a lot of us in the audience because she has that history. I mean, yeah. I personally am really liking Salt Lake City right now because while there aren't many seasons of the show, there are many layers to the history being shared between um, Meredith and Lisa Barlow and between Whitney and Heather. Or there's a little bit of conflict in the idea of like maybe a la Heather and Whitney, maybe we announced to the world we were very close and like 
cousins, even though we figured that out as a cocktail party as adults. And we're very, very close. And now we're seeing through the disillusion of their friendship, like maybe that foundation, you know, maybe they had been really friendly before the show, but maybe they became a lot closer because of the show. Mm -hmm. And now that we're seeing these two women slowly turn on each other and kind of being at war, that history that we were all promised really did exist for several years, as I personally think did exist between Meredith and Lisa. Like maybe that was never really there. Maybe they were friendly. They were close in social ways, but they didn't necessarily have a huge long history, but there's still something that existed. That's why I find Potomac so wonderful is because there is that thing that existed like there obviously is a closeness between certain members of the cast and there are also many many years pre-housewives where these women knew each other which is different from knowing of someone so that when an OG circles back as a friend of she's the exception to the rule not only does she have a perspective but she also has a significant history with women in the cast like mm -hmm. this whole Karen and Charisse thing I think is really interesting and I also think when you introduce new people to the show what an interesting kind of tension for example having Candace there who didn't necessarily have and Ashley who didn't necessarily have relationships with many of these women before the show but have developed them and what happens when someone comes in who seems like a natural fit for the show, regardless of how you feel about them, and is a core part of conflict that involves women who had pre-Housewives a lot of history with each other. I think that that is fascinating and it is difficult to create and cast, but it's that kind of divide. It's like the idea of having grounded force a grounded force behind some of these friendships and how they knew each other and again knew of each other and then put them in front of reality tv cameras and then have conflict exist how are you if you're at war with someone going to try to trigger that other person mm. and how do these new people to this universe which is now obviously it's housewives it's reality tv there's going to be it's you're being filmed you're followed by camera crews Obviously, there's an artificial nature to that. How does this other stuff affect this new universe? I love it. I, I love the addition of Sharice at this point, mostly mm. for, again, like you said, it's kind of like the nostalgia of it all, like the taking it back to the beginning and the history between Karen, Giselle and Robin and Sharice. And how does that work now? And what's happened between Sharice and Karen that has left Karen with such a salty taste in her mouth. I feel like that has yet to be unraveled. And mm -hmm. Potomac is also a show where I feel like everyone has a foil. And what I love yes. about that is like, there's like, there could be the Giselle Karen foil kind of thing or the, the, uh, the Karen Sharice foil. But then Ashley and Candace are like the perfect foils for each other. Wendy and Robin are like the perfect foils for each other. Wendy and Mia, as I think we'll see in this upcoming episode, mm -hmm. are some kind of foils for each mm -hmm. other. But also Mia and her best friend will also turn out to be foils for each other. How does that, how do some of these relationships, and I think we'll begin to see that this week, really begin to deteriorate 
and progress in a way that changes the group dynamics. Because the thing that I love about a season of a good season of Housewives is you cannot predict what is going to happen. Yes. Yeah. We don't know where the stories are going. Do you have any inside scoop on what actually happened with Mia and Jacqueline? Because the way that they keep over communicating how close they are and the history and the trust, I'm like, God, this is it feels like kind of intense to me or or strange, honestly, that they've fallen apart so, I don't know, suddenly and deeply like what the fuck what happened i honestly don't know i'm trying to follow the breadcrumbs that i feel like the producers are leaving for us yeah but i don't i i'm 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 still i think it we're so early in the season that so many things have not been solved yet i mean we know it's coming right but we don't know the why or how it happens and the twists and turns that we're going to take to get there. That is, that's what, that's what really excites me about Potomac right now. Every episode, I have no idea what a, the cast is going to throw at us and B what the producers who work overtime to make sure that this show is amazing are going to throw at us either. Okay. So I have to ask you a bunch of questions about Potomac. So, um, Giselle and Candace, how are we feeling? Um, it's difficult for me because I look at the situation um, from a couple of different perspectives as someone who tries to also, I consider myself a feminist in the sense that I try to make myself sensitive to issues that women face. So I think that you have an issue that could be valid for Giselle being uncomfortable. I think there's that's one thing. And if we took that as the only thing that she said, then I would say, okay, as a man, Chris, you can apologize maybe you had a level of comfortability or you thought there was a level of comfortability, which is okay. But when someone communicates otherwise, you simply say, okay, I'm sorry, that will never happen again. The problem that I have with that is that Giselle added the extra layer of saying that um, I felt like he was trying to see if I was with it. Mm. Um, I've had many a married men try me. He was complaining about his wife and he is a sneaky link. When you add in that layer, then you've turned this into something else. But now in the public eye, you're making it seem like you only said you were uncomfortable. That's not all you said. So now he has to defend himself against not only that, but also the extra added elements that Ashley has thrown in as well, which for me, the DM about, oh, you should come to the bar that I'm managing. Um, okay, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, say I don't feel comfortable with your husband DMing me. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing that she just recently threw in about, I don't know, I guess maybe he was staring at her friend or had DM someone else. Show me the proof. You got to show the proof. Like you got to show the receipts. But as a, from a male perspective, if I'm Chris Bassett, I am never going around these women again. I'm never going to do anything on film with anyone except for Candace because as a man, like it's, it's a difficult thing as a man, when you walk into an elevator and you see a woman um, clutch her purse a little tighter. That's a thing that I, I can't even blame a woman for doing that. Maybe she's had an experience where someone has done something or made her feel a certain type of way. But as a man, it just makes you extra 
aware of how your mere presence can make someone else feel uncomfortable. And so for me, as I look at Chris in this situation, I do think that he would be better off leaving the filming contained to the scenes with his wife at this point. Well, he's filmed with Robin, which feels like that has worked out, right? A little bit. Well, I think because also Robin is looking at this a little bit differently. Her level of comfortability, you know, um, I think that she has a different outlook on it. I think probably Wendy does as well. You know what I'm saying? But I I just, I just, what's become a little bit of a trope on the show is that the husbands have been the targets typically throughout the years on on Potomac, which is in some cases maybe warranted because of something that they've done that may have been a little unscrupulous. Um, Mm -hmm. But each season we can usually expect that, okay, what it's, it's, it's going to be about the husband, Mm -hmm. but which husband is it? Mm -hmm. And I felt like in my mind, I predicted that it would be Chris this season. Oh, really? I predicted it would be Eddie this season. I, I, I predicted it would be Eddie. I predicted it then would be Chris. I predicted that next it'll be Gordon. Why? What brought you to the conclusion, especially noting the timing of each? Um, For me, I just looked at the pattern, the previous patterns. I mean, it was Juan. It's been Ray. It's been Michael. I mean, of course, and sometimes with Michael, I mean, come on, like he's right he's kind of put himself in that position a, a few times, but then, you know, the one season it was Chris Samuels. Then once they were out of the way, I felt like if this is going to be the pattern, then Wendy is next. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Eddie was next was last season. Mm-hmm. This season I said to myself, Oh, it'll be Chris Bassett. I didn't know how, but I just felt like, oh, well, there's only one new husband left. I mean, and they've got to give Mia the grace of mm-hmm. a season one entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I, I mean? mean? Like, and so to me, it seems like that's been the theme. And it feels like, again, like a trope at this point. Um, and as you can see, we see much less of Juan participating with the group. Um, we see much less of Ray participating with the group. I mean, at major functions, you know. Um, we, I mean, we see Eddie occasionally with the group. Um, I would probably say if I were Chris, you would see less of me with the group and we don't Mm -hmm. see Michael at all. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Um, you know, it feels like in some ways the marriages on Potomac have been tested, but I don't necessarily know that in the case of Chris and Candace, that's what's taking place. Like maybe that's an after effect of questioning Chris's well, I never really like think fidelity. It's the, I never really think it's the the marriage. It's the person. It's usually an outside party saying something about the husband. Right, which is one of the many reasons why Ashley trying to bring up this fakakta, like the pendulum swings twice kind of thing, is so fucked because not only it's a false equivalency of everything that Michael has done on camera and off, um, and 
the things that he has had to go to court to litigate versus what happened between Chris and Giselle, which feels like some miscommunication, misunderstanding and discomfort and how that's being exacerbated now in front of cameras and discussed, which is very complicated. But with Ashley trying to make that false comparison as if to say everyone gets their turn in the hot seat is to me incredibly disingenuous because Michael created a seat for himself. Like it wasn't the cat. Michael might be the exception to the rule here in the way that, yeah, have some people asked about him, made comments about potentially um, their marriage, his sexuality. There's been a lot of stuff discussed there. But when it comes to his behavior, it came as a result of the women in the cast acknowledging what took front what took place potentially in front of cameras like mm-hmm. he's the one that led that conversation so for ashley to say well michael was in the hot seat you know just because that's the thing that happens and now it's your turn is to me not only incredibly unrealistic and a rewriting of the history of what happened with Michael, but it does also feel strategic on Ashley's part, which is interesting considering this is a man she's fucking trying to divorce, allegedly, word on the street. And and what was so wild about the production with that, and I didn't pay attention to, I, I didn't pay attention to this afterwards, and that's why I have to give the producers props. The previous episode, there was a call between Ashley and her publicist where the news had leaked about their, you know, separation. Mm. And we see her driving through this neighborhood. And I, I remember recapping the episode. I'm like, well, where? why is she driving in circles around this neighborhood? <laughs> Only to discover at the beginning of the next episode that she and Candace are meeting to have their own little, you know, kiki session at her, at Candace, in Candace's home, mm-hmm. in Candace's home. That's the start of the same episode where at the end... Ashley is telling her a yet yet another story about her husband and the full circle of that episode to me was what I don't think people missed and it was so genius in the way it was shown is that we started you're in Candace's home right mm-hmm. she she's allowed you into her home and then only days later at the end of this episode we get you making this reveal that, aha, but oh no, there's yet another story about your husband, Candace. I didn't tell you this earlier. I just found out about it. And then in the following episode to say, well, the reason I'm saying this is, you know, to really back up Giselle. That was interesting to me. Wait, why am I confused by this? To me, what I love, (laughs) here's what the producers did. They brought us full circle with Candace and Ashley in one episode. We started an episode. We ended an episode with Ashley finding out about her own marriage in the news as she's headed to Candace's house, Mm -hmm. where under normal circumstances, Candace and Ashley would never be having any type of sit down, especially in Candace's home, Mm -hmm. only for the episode to end with the two of them falling out all over again. It's like this weird cycle of their relationship 
where it felt to me like they had some genuine connection at the beginning of the episode only for Ashley to then just throw it all away for the sake of what the pendulum swinging both ways, but you guys had already made amends. That's what seemed crazy to me about this episode, but also genius in terms of production to start the episode there and then to end it with them in two totally different places. Well, I mean, do we think the pendulum is going to swing back to them repairing their relationship? Like, how do you move on from here when Ashley seems to be going out of her way to communicate a sense of glee about Chris being in hot water? Candace has drawn a line in the sand with Giselle, like on social media, seemingly being like, it's done. It's over. I'm never going to connect with her again. Like, essentially, she's dead to me. Rest in peace. How is it seems like it is it true that Candace and Ashley are able to move forward after this? Or am I just completely misunderstanding um, what happens as the season continues to unfold? I guess. similar to how the pendulum swang back and forth in this episode I think it's going to probably swing a couple more times it's like the pendulum is swinging just like Ashley and Michael's marriage and just like their relationship this pendulum is a swinger and god bless it hopefully it doesn't swing into an LLC to buy a home I mean, can I also just say, I know that we have to wrap and literally Tobes, the Toby, the Toby Galley, also known as my mother, is in my apartment and we are going to be doing hello, another little, mom. hello mom, she came in at one point and Richie saw me go, what? What's <laughs> <laughs> going on? But it is kind of interesting to me. Um, a New York Magazine, a vulture writer was writing about Potomac and I read the piece this morning and um This person made like a really solid point, which was the idea that like Ashley is having and filming these scenes on camera talking about and sort of seeming to understand for the very first time, like financial responsibility and strategy and the dissolution of a marriage, which is an odd turn for Ashley's personality, considering how strategic successfully so she had been in renegotiating their prenup after the last round of Michael Michigas and what a sea change in her being like, Google isn't enough. Like, well, I'm just going to take his word for it when she absolutely went out of her way, rightfully so, not to do that in her marriage. I wonder if that is going to be something that is going to come up, maybe not within this season, but during the reunion. Like, how were you so on the ball and understanding of how to support, defend yourself uh, understand what was at risk when Michael was fucking up in your marriage that you're seemingly letting go because up until this point, you're pretending we trust Michael Darby first and foremost during the separation and divorce. That is what is confusing to me as well. I have asked similar questions. Mm. I don't understand the yeah. nature of this separation slash divorce and a part of me has to ask is all of this because he doesn't want to film anymore is all of what because the separation all of this that we're seeing because a separation doesn't necessarily always lead to divorce 
Well, that's what's so confusing is like, um, do we think that a divorce is is actually going to take place? She keeps mentioning that, you know, I guess in the process in the state in which they live, you have to have 12 months of separation before you Mm -hmm. can file. Like in Virginia, is is that why this is being communicated in the because she it feels like she is being a little cagey about the use of divorce now that she wasn't necessarily at the beginning of the season. Do you think it's because of the timing and like the law here? Or do you think it's because there's something else going on? I don't know. I, I What I will say, and I'll kind of like end it with this. Yeah. I will believe that. And first of all, I've met Ashley in person. Mm. Cool as a cucumber. She's so cool. I talked to her about real her estate. Yeah. Love her. Um, Love her. She is amazing. Yes. But we're talking about Ashley on the show. And I consider <laughs> them two different people. Okay. Yes. All right. So let's just establish that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 in general, I consider each person I talk about when we're talking about them on the show. Yes. That's them on the show. When I'm yes. talking about, I don't know them as people unless mm-hmm. I know them. Yeah. Um, but Ashley on the show to me, I will believe the divorce when I, at, at the same time that I believe that um, Juan and Robin are married. Oh, you don't think Juan and Robin are going to get remarried? When I see it, I'll believe it. Oh my God. That is the Andy's girls version of a to be continued. And I'm extremely here for it. Richie sky. I know it's like pre Thanksgiving, but I'm just going to let you know you're coming on before Christmas. You are <laughs> a regular here at Andy's girls. I feel like we have gone in so many directions over the course of this episode, which is why I love you so much because I'm always learning when I'm hearing you communicate about the through line between production and strategy and what we're seeing on camera and off. I literally can't get enough. So clear your extremely busy calendar for December because you're coming on for at least another app. You know, I'm obsessed with you. You know, I die for you. Where can AGs follow you on social, subscribe to your YouTube channel? What do you have coming up? Please, please mention it all. Follow me at everything at DJ Richie's guy. So that's YouTube, Facebook. That's also Instagram. Mm. Um, I have my first book coming out. It's fiction. <gasps> it's housewives meets meets scandal. Oh yes. Oh yes. It will be releasing soon. I will give you the tea early. Yes. I, nobody else. Will, nobody else knows this. Not even my audience. Um, it's called the wickedest wives. <gasps> And it will be out very, very soon. So oh once God. I have a pre-order link, I will let you know. But yes. Okay. Um, so that's the one that's really the biggest thing right now that I'm that I'm working on. Um, so yeah, look out for that. Okay. Um, flash question, who's the wickedest wife that you can think of, IRL? When you think wicked wife, who do you think of? Past or present? When I think uh oh God, uh Vicky. Oh, oh my god, that was completely Oh my god, I was like, I did not think you were gonna go that way. Holy shit, that is fascinating. We will unpack that on the next Andy's Girls that Richie comes on. And speaking of unpacking, guys, join the Andy's Girls Patreon, number one way to support the pod. You get exclusive bonus episodes and so much more. There's a new Patreon app that went up, I think it's like an hour and 20 minutes long. 40 of those minutes are uh, focused on my recap and review of Bethany Frankel's podcast, A New Direction, when discussing Housewives, as well as some satchels 
Bottles of Gold, listener thoughts and feels, questions and concerns, named in honor of her holiness, Kelly Kalorn, Ben Simone. So many listener thoughts and feels mentioned on that exclusive bonus episode that you can access at patreon.com slash Girls. Follow me on social media at Dame Galley. Richie Sky, I'm so thankful to you. Happy pre-Thanksgiving. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving to you too and thanks for having me. Oh my god, my pleasure. Guys, hope you're all doing okay. Get those Amex cards. Okay. <laughs> Whatever else. I don't know how good your credit is, but you definitely got some bonus credit for listening to this app and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>